check, check. Oh, there it is. Hey, everybody. Oh, this is shorter than I thought it was going to be. Um, well, we don't have a bumper video, so I'm going to awkwardly grab all my supplies. I thought we were going to have uh, a little bit more of a... Uh, we're going to have... Uh, well, you'll see. You'll see. We have a pretty interesting demonstration um, coming out here in just a second. You should be worried. Uh, right here is good. Oop, we're there. Yeah. So full disclaimer, uh, this probably won't fall, but if it does, just don't get hurt. Um, okay, so we are coming out of, well, actually, so this is our first Sunday of the year. Yay, 2020. Um, and so we are coming out of a series, and we're going to be going into a series, but we're going to sandwich this one standalone book of Jude in between our, I forgot what we did last, and then our Genesis series that's going to be starting up next week. And so I wanted to start with an illustration for you guys, just something I'm a very, um, very visually oriented, uh, like image, like I'm very, I'm a very visual learner, I'm very visual, so I have some, some props with me today. Um, something else you should probably know about me, I'm very grumpy sometimes, and I, I can be very crabby about certain things. One of the things that I am particularly, specifically, specially super crabby about is superstitions. I hate them. I think they are so dumb that you would believe that because somebody randomly at one point in time decided that this common household object was going to be superstitious, it became superstitious. Um, and so that, that kind of prompted me as I was thinking about how I was going to introduce Jude, the best way to make some connections for Jude. I thought, where do we get these, uh, where, where do we get this conclusion that certain things bring on bad luck? And so I'm going to start here with an umbrella. Now, for those of you who may not know, opening an umbrella indoors is considered bad luck. But why? Fifteen minutes later in a bit of uh, Snopes, searching Snopes or whatever, fact-checking website, I found that really the basis that we have for um, uh, umbrellas being unlucky is that if you open one indoors, uh, they kind of, they, they expand quickly and you can knock over a small child or a vase off of a counter or poke yourself in the eye. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, but, but that makes sense. Okay, there's kind of like some merit to it. But somehow, all but a couple hundred years later, I don't know how long the umbrella's been invented, probably like a hundred years, right? Um, we get this superstition, and to what a lot of people would commonly believe, you're like, oh, you're going to get bad luck if you open that umbrella indoors. Check this out. Don't worry. Wow. I know, right? See, I'm not afraid to open this umbrella indoors because... I know that even though people talk about it being bad luck, even though people talk about it being this superstitious and this bad thing, I know that it's actually not going to do anything as long as I made sure I didn't knock anything over. So then I thought, okay, what's another big superstition? Um, walking underneath a ladder, right? That's a big one. And it actually has a similar... <laughs> Similar origin story to the umbrella in the sense that if I walked underneath a ladder while somebody was working on it, it could be pretty bad luck for them because I might knock them off the ladder. Or maybe there's a bucket of paint on the ladder and I bump it and I, uh, I spill paint on myself. You know, there's, there's kind of like, we're talking about like 
consequences of actions, but not like I can't, like, I'll lose my legs the next day or something. Like, I, I'll have to, like, something tragic will happen to me and I'll have to endure this bad luck. And it's actually funny, I even researched some of the ways that, <laughs> this is ridiculous, some of the ways that we can uh, deter uh, bad luck from going underneath a ladder. Um, first one, you can make a wish when you walk underneath the ladder. Now, I actually don't know if it means the wish comes true, but for some reason, somebody along the way in history of ladders said, making a wish will make that bad luck go away. Um, the other one is walking backwards through the ladder. So now we're not even doing this accidentally. Now I'm very intentionally deciding to walk backwards underneath this ladder to prevent bad luck. Uh, this is a fun one. Say bread and butter. No, 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 I, you don't have to say. I'm saying if I walked underneath this ladder, I would have bad luck unless I said the words bread and butter. Um, and then this is also pretty unique. Uh, you've got to cross your fingers and keep them crossed until you see a dog. Who's making these rules? <laughs> I don't know. But I know one thing for sure, that if I walk underneath this ladder, nothing is going to happen to me. I'm not going to incur bad luck. I, when I got this out, I didn't know it was going to be this short, so it might be a little awkward. But whoa, whoa, I did it. No bad luck. Brings me to my next example. Probably the most common, like, it, even as I was telling people that I was going to bring a mirror out on stage, like, almost every single person, don't break it, it'll be seven years of bad luck. <sighs> you really think that if I break this mirror, I'm going to get seven years of bad luck. Now, the, the history of mirrors goes on a lot deeper than the history of ladders and the history of umbrellas. Um, it was thought that the mirror was a reflection of one's soul, and to break the mirror would be to break one's soul. Somebody shops at Anthropology. Um, I'm just kidding. I love that store, full disclaimer. But like, okay, this, uh, who made this rule? Like, who decided that this is suddenly going to be true? And then here's, here's the even crazier. This is the way to nullify. If I do break this mirror, how do I cancel out the bad luck? Okay, I throw salt over my shoulder. That's a common one, knocking over salt. That's also a considered bad luck. Um, I have to immediately spin three times counterclockwise. Um, this is... I have to grind all of the pieces of the mirror into a fine powder and bury it. Or I could rub one of these fragments on a tombstone. And then, this, then if I burn the fragments, I therefore blacken the resemblance of my reflection, my broken soul, and I cancel the hex. Which for those of us who don't play Magic the Gathering, hex is a fancy word for a spell. Um, so what would happen, you know? If I took this and I broke this mirror, for safety's sake, I'm not going to break it. For safety, I know, and I'm sorry. But, but listen, listen to this. So think about this now. You have these common items, these things that we see every day, and we have this thing that's a commonly accepted truth. Maybe some people just say it because it's kind of kitschy. Um, but there are some people who really believe this because somebody said something a long time ago and starts accepting it as truth, um, and then it just starts building up off of itself. So you have this commonly accepted truth, and then you have the truth. I can open this umbrella inside, and, there's got gonna be, and then there's not going to be any bad luck. 
Is this, oop, no, I did break it. Um, <laughs> it's my wife's, it's fine. Uh, but so you have this truth that's accepted, but then you have this actual truth that is a little bit less exciting. Um, there's nothing special about these domestic items. There's nothing special about these things. And Jude is going to kind of reflect a similar story. Um, and if, uh, if you want to go ahead and open up to Jude, you'll find it. It's the letter of Jude. It is right before Revelation. Uh, it is a short book. It is 25 verses. There's some parts of it that we're going to fly through. There are some parts that we're going to stick and go very, very meticulously through. But something about Jude, he's an early church leader. Um, he is the half-brother of Jesus. And he heard word of these corrupt teachers in the church that were starting to teach things that weren't true. They were starting to take lies and say that this is truth. That were starting to um, essentially build up what we would consider things that are as ridiculous as a superstition. Um, and they were coming into the church and saying that they're true. And so at the end of this letter, we're going to be faced with this one question. Are you going to stand for the truth of Christ? Or are you going to trust in sin, which leads to death? We're going to, no matter what, no matter where you're sitting in this room, you're going to have to eventually answer that question. Am I going to stand for the truth of Christ? Or am I going to trust in sin, which leads to death? So if you guys, uh, hopefully you all have all turned there. If you all want to go ahead and read with me uh, the beginning of Jude, we see here, okay, so Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Uh, again, Jude is a, a very influential leader and has a deep understanding of his audience here. Um, and this is going to show up a lot as we read the book. Uh, a lot of what we believe um, this audience to be, uh, what we can kind of surmise is they, we, uh, that they were messianic Jews, they were completed Jews, that they once uh, followed Judaism, but then they accepted Christ and became Christians completed Jews, Messianic Jews. Um, and so we read here now in verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered, uh, or excuse me, for all delivered to the saints. The words are small. Um, so basically, we're also reading, so Jude was actually going to write them a much longer letter. He's, I mean, it could have been longer than Romans or or Acts or whatever. Like, we don't know how long this original letter was going to be. But Jude sensed this really urgent problem in these churches that he's writing to, in this church that he's writing to, this audience. And here is our problem. We're going to read this right here in verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. He's telling them that there is a wolf among you. There are these corrupt teachers who are distorting and who are perverting the grace of God. We don't know specifically exactly, like word for word, what these corrupt teachers are saying, what these false teachers are saying, but what we can gather and what we do uh, surmise and what we can kind of find is that they are essentially saying that we can use God's grace as a license to sin. We, he, what, we're, what we're gathering here, what we can find uh, through these definitions and through, through linguistics, that we can find that we're, we're essentially getting this message that you can sin all you want as long as you just like, you know, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. 
or to, to use the grace of God as a license for unlimited sin. This is this corrupt teaching. This is this corrupt message that we're learning and that's being brought here. And this is why Jude um, finds it so urgent to write to them. And uh, one, uh, you know, one thing that we can look at uh, to kind of define and make sure we can assert our position to say that that isn't truthful, that that isn't right. Uh, we know that grace is a good thing and that it's pure, but it does not mean that an impure being can come in and make it wrong. That they, can, that they can ruin it, they can tarnish it, they, can't, they can alter the truth. Um, and so the first of these two problems Jude sees is that we know that this is not true. This is a fact of the Bible that we cannot continue in sin and just let grace abound. In fact, there's a, a verse in Romans, uh, Romans 6, 1 through 2. You don't have to turn there. It'll be up here on the screen. Uh, Romans 6, 1 through 2. There it is. Uh, this is Paul writing, so what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Paul's saying here that there's, there's absolutely no way that a, a, a new creation, a, a Christian, somebody who's truly following Christ, who's truly accepted Christ in their life, there's no way that this can be their lifestyle. It's just to sin and let grace abound, to let grace continue to come and just, oh yeah, sure, I'll sin and and get forgiveness. I mean, grace is a good thing. I'm, I'm glad that I don't have a, it's not strike 490 and then you're out. But it doesn't mean that I have to go to 491. <laughs> our, our aim should be to be sin, uh, to, to sin less as Christians, not to be uh, sinless. I mean, we can't, we can't expect ourselves uh, to be uh, these completely perfect in, like, beings until we're in glory. Like, it just, it's the reality um, is until we are in heaven that we will be perfect. But here on earth, our, our goal as Christians is to sin less, as, uh, as the old adage goes. Um, and so when we see this first problem, we see that this is not true. We can't be teaching this in the church. And then he also goes to, uh, or sorry, as, as we look at this as an outright lie, like these superstitions, we can't accept this truth. Um, but then we also can look at Galatians to see exactly why this is as severe as it is. Um, so if you want to go ahead and throw up that verse on Galatians, for so this is Galatians 1, 8 through 9. It says, but even if we, uh, we meaning uh, some of the authors of the Bible, the, the apostles, uh, we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So we understand now that it's kind of a big deal if you just come in and want to start changing the gospel. If you want to start changing the message uh, that is being preached here, that is being consistent with the word of God. And the, the Bible also, um, we're, we're kind of rare in the instances where we have a direct uh, repeating like that. That is, the, it is a, an absolute repetition of the same thing. Uh, if that doesn't drive home the urgency, I don't know what will. And so, uh, first of all, I mean, if we're ever listening to teaching, if we're ever uh, hearing somebody tell us something, or we have friends who claim to be Christians, or you go to another church, or even in this church, if, if things are being taught to you, be listening with gospel ears. Be listening to it, filtering it through the gospel and knowing what is true in here and making sure that what you're being told also lines up with what's true in here. 
so we know that this is an extremely important and pressing issue, that we have these lies that are being taught in the church, and Jude sees the need to write and explaining exactly why that's a big deal and why it is not good for uh, these, these false teachings to be taught. And so we're going to look at verses 5 through 16, um, and uh, we're going to get what I call a criticism of immorality. This is, this is Jude, is gonna give a, he's going to give a thorough breakdown of what it really looks like for people who are going to follow in these footsteps, who are going to follow these teachings, who are going to, um, who are going to teach these things. Like he's going to show you exactly what your, what your payday looks like. Uh, and he's going to give us a lot of old examples. And this is, a, we're going to see a lot of stories here that I'm going to try my best to explain to you in a short time. I would love and encourage you all to go and find uh, each of these and, and read up on them and, and learn them individually and see the depth behind what's being explained here. But first off, uh, we're going to get three old examples of, re- of the rejection of God's grace for the pursuit of sinfulness. And so if you all want to read with me in verse 5, he says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. He's talking about Israel way back uh, whenever they were rescued in, uh, from Egypt. And these guys, uh, I mean, they had daily miracles. I mean, you're talking about manna falling from the sky, God supplying uh, your needs. I mean, for, for a pretty considerable uh, point of time, there was also a, a pillar of fire uh, following you and, and being, uh, you know, helpful and kind of cool. Honestly, I'd really like to see that. Uh, but then we still see that they, they, some of them still perished in unbelief. That even in the midst of this blessing, even in the midst of this, that they, there was still a rejection of God, and there was still a pursuit of sinfulness, and there was still punishment for them. And so now we're going to look at verse 6. Um, and then the angels, who did not stay within their position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. We have angels uh, who have left their proper dwelling. All right, so I can kind of, I, I'm, a, I'm a human, so I, I can really relate with humans. Uh, I can really understand a human who has rejected God, at, at least to some degree as a human to another human. But we've got angels now. We're, we're, we're lifting the, the playing field. We're expanding our universe here of, of people who, of, of beings who have rejected God. And they receive subsequent punishment. Um, these angels who rejected God, they... They got punished. And then we're going to look at verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing punishment of eternal fire. These cities literally blew up. They, they, they are gone. Um, they, they suffered their punishment for their perversion. And also for their blasphemy. Again, go read these stories. Uh, reading the story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's, it's incredible. Um, there's, there's a lot of, uh, it's a story involving Abraham. And uh, it's, 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 really, it's really life-giving. And it's really good to read and understand even the context. It, it provides a layer under here for us to understand the book uh, more. But I ask this now. Did, so did, did unbelief and did rebellion and sinfulness work out well for those three examples? No, I heard one person say no. No, it did not work out well for them. 
And what Jude is getting at here, too, is will it work out well for you if you follow in the footsteps of people who are corrupt teachers, who are pursuing sinfulness, who are living in rebellion to God? No. It's not going to work out well for you at all. And this is what Jude is trying to get at. Um, and then so next in, the, uh, in verses 8 through 10, we're going to get kind of a bonus example, a bonus story. And this is really actually going to be our first look uh, the inside of what it looks like to stand for the truth of Christ, to, to, really, um, to really use the word of God and to really use a worship of God and to, to stand firm for who Christ is, to stand firm in God's glory. But something I want to preface with the story, it's actually one that you're not going to find in your Bible anywhere else. This is actually a story that's pulled from a, um, a relevant uh, Jewish, uh, li- relevant Jewish literature at the time, um, and his audience is familiar with that, and so that's why he uses it. It's something that's relatable. They're like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, I, I was reading that yesterday. Um, and the, we don't really uh, consider this to be part of our biblical canon. Like, this isn't something that we'll find in the Old Testament, but it still serves as a good example. It still serves as a good story for us to, to learn from. Um, and so to build up the context, you've got uh, Moses uh, has died. And you've got the devil who is wanting claim over Moses. He says, that Moses, his body, he belongs to me. And you've got the archangel, Michael, who is defending. And they're contending against each other. And so uh, let's continue to read here in verses 8 through 10. Yet in like manner, these people, we're talking about the corrupt teachers, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But... When the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume or pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people, talking again about the teachers now, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. That's a a lot to unload, especially whenever we're talking about a story that maybe isn't super familiar to all of us. So um, you've got two pretty, pretty alike. Uh, they're, they're pretty much these guys, the devil and Michael, they're, they're kind of on the same, on the same playing field, essentially. I, I couldn't really uh, pick a fight with Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? It's not going to happen. John Cena, Dwayne the Rock, okay, I could see them going head to head. This is kind of what we have here. Um, this is, these are two uh, extraordinarily uh, powerful beings here. And what uh, Jude is pointing out is that Michael doesn't do this crazy, weird, like, Sith lightning or, like, pull out a sword and start dueling the devil for the body of Moses. He doesn't uh, cast a blasphemous judgment on the devil, but he says, the Lord rebuke you. And I think that that's really interesting, and I think that that's, uh, that's something that we can learn from in the sense that when it comes to issues where we've got people talking and, and bringing up lies or they're referencing dreams and visions and, or they're, maybe they're worshiping angels or maybe they're uh, denying authority of God or denying authority of the Spirit, um, Maybe uh, if for those of you who may remember or be familiar with Trinidadian baptism, like, uh, like the Baptists in Trinidad, it's like this weird voodoo religion. Um, the best way we can respond to that and handle that would be to leave it up to the Lord. Devil, the Lord rebuke you. 
Michael gives us an example of how to respond to that mysticism, is kind of what it's called. Leave it up to the Lord. And this, again, is our first example of how we stand firm, how we would stand for the truth of Christ, the truth of the gospel. We're not going to messy our hands and meddle with things that are best left up to the Lord. So that was a little bit of a bonus story, a bonus example. We're going to jump back into talking about just the, the woe to these teachers, to, to what's going to come of these guys and what they're teaching and, and, the, and the way of life that they're leading. And, and uh, well, yeah, let's just read it. Let's dive into it. Uh, so in verse 11, it says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of to gain for Balaam's error, excuse me, the sake of gain to Balaam's era and perished in Korah's rebellion. This is a, there's a lot of Jewish history going on here. Again, I would encourage y'all to go and, and read these and, and learn the context for yourselves. Um, but this is not good. And then continuing, he says, these are hidden reeks at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Look at this language, guys. This is not good news. I mean, we're talking hidden reeks. uh, Twice dead, uprooted, fruitless trees. Wild waves casting up foam of shame. This is not super good. If I'm, a, if I'm a person who is knowingly teaching things that are wrong in the church and I'm hearing this, I'm kinda, I've got a bead of sweat dripping down my head now. Like this is, I'm very nervous about this. Because Jude is really hammering in this idea that this is a punishable and terrible thing. And that there is no good that is going to come from people who would distort and lie in the church. And he's also emphasizing a greater point of why it's important for us as Christians to stand for the truth of Christ and not to trust in sin, not to pursue a lifestyle of sin because that leads to death. That leads to these things. 14 through 16, we see more examples of how this pursuit of sin and personal pleasure does not bode well. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and that of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, malcontentions, following in their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Y'all, be rooted in the gospel, the gospel that is preached here in the Bible, the good news that Jesus died and rose to take away our sins and to bring us into a new life. And with that comes a new life change and and a, a life change that keeps us away from sin, that calls us to a lifestyle where we don't live in sinfulness because if we decide to deny that and we decide to say well you know i got jesus and he's taken away all my sins so i might as well just sin as much as i want we're following in that teaching this is going to happen 
This is the likeness of punishment. This is, this is what is associated with things uh, in these false teachings and these, these corrupt leadership. So remember, remember the gospel and be rooted in it. Because a day is going to come where you're going to have to stand for the truth of Christ. Or you're going to trust in sin, which will lead to death. Finally, in verse 17, we get a little bit of a tone change. Actually, a pretty, pretty considerable tone change. It says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's asking us in 17, I think, to remember... I think because when the going gets tough, people tend to forget. But he's telling us to remember of what people in the Bible previously, what these apostles had taught before. He says in verse 18, They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of spirit. He's reassuring us of this insecurity. That if you're a church member and you see somebody who's coming up and perverting the word of God, saying grace um, is this license to sin, if you're sitting here listening to this and you say, that's not right, that's, that's not true, that, that doesn't feel right. That's the, if I'm listening with my gospel ears, that's not, that's not how that works. He is reassuring you of that insecurity. Um, we know that they lack the spirit and cause division, uh, we know that the, the apostles literally warned of this and that they're not even gone today. There are plenty of people teaching this very thing that Jude is warning about. They lack the spirit and they cause division, but not us. We have the spirit of God and we cling to unity. And so verses 20 through 23, uh, we're going to get an example. We're going to see what it looks like to be the church. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to show others, with, uh, to show others mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by flesh. Guys, we become the church. We, we, make, uh, we, we make ourselves known as, as Christians who stand on this established gospel, who stand rooted deeply in the gospel. Um, so we lift up one another, and we love one another, and we show mercy to others. We count on the mercy of God. Um, we live a life that's changed. We pray continually. We pray uh, for the Holy Spirit to invade our lives and to make us in the likeness of God. We're faithful to Christ, and we do not let the garment that is stained by flesh, we don't let these lies, these things that build up into something like a superstition, we don't let those in. We have to cling to the constant of the Lord. Not dreams, not desires, not sin, not enticing ideas. We have to cling to the Lord. Because we're going to answer this question. Are you going to stand up for the truth of Christ? Or are you going to trust in sin, which leads to death? Uh, much like how uh, Jude gave us a bunch of examples of uh, what it looks like for those who fall in the ways of corrupt teachers and uh, distorted grace and, and, 
and lies about grace, he's going to give us just a short, concise, and really reassuring example of what it looks like for those who are rooted in the gospel, who are the church. He says here in verse 24 through 25, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. He ends this book by showing us the God that we have, the, 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 the solid truth that we are called to stand for, that we are called to stand on. We're reassured that this is a good thing, that we have a Savior who gets all the glory at the end of the day. It's not something where I get certain, I get gain out of it, and then suddenly it's a contest between me and this other person getting gain, and then, it's, and then we start playing this game where, oh, well, actually I get this more grace, and it, it, all the glory goes to God. I mean, if you want a good rule of thumb to find out if you're doing something right, if God is getting the glory, then that's typically a good, uh, that's a good way to look at it. That's a good way to think through something. Um, if God is getting the glory then this is, you're, you're headed the right way. What he's pointing out for us in verses 24 and 25 is we get the solid rock. In Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is prone to punishment and destruction and, and sinfulness and ungodliness. But on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. So then I still ask you this question. Are you going to stand for the truth of Christ, or are you going to trust in sin? Corrupt teaching and distorted grace and, and bad teachers, they're not gone by any means. They're here everywhere. And this is a lie. This lie that we can, that we can follow um, this, this lifestyle of sinfulness and then claim godliness. If, we could, if this lie is rampant in, in the world, people would tell you. And people will tell you. Or people will think. Or people may just not even know better. And say, oh, yeah, yeah, I can, yeah, I'm godly. I, oh, yeah, I go to church every Easter. And, and oh, I'm a Christian. And I, be, I believe in God. And, but then they live a life of sinfulness. And they're not rooted in the truth. And they're not false teachers, perhaps. And maybe some of them are false teachers. Some people are teaching for specifically for personal gain. But this lie is still rampant today. And maybe you're sitting here in a seat today and you're like, okay, big whoop, Justin, I'm a teenager. I'm not a church leader. Like, I, like frankly, I'm, I'm not Tom Nelson. I, I don't know how much this is actually going to apply to me. Um, but let me tell you this. So are the church. For those of us in the room who are Christians, like we are the church, the universal church. And you have plenty of opportunity, and you have plenty of, of right and, and availability to, to stand firm for the truth of Christ. Um, an example uh, that I have, uh, I'm not one, I don't really regret a whole lot. You know, if I make a mistake, I'm usually thankful for it. Um, but I do have a handful of regrets, specifically from high school, and this is one of the big ones. Um, I was sitting in my government, AP government class, my senior year of high school, and there's a guy sitting behind me. It's just, we're just kind of, everybody's just talking, and I'm, I'm like on my phone or something or whatever, but, um, and everybody's just talking, and there's this guy behind me, and I, I mean, like, we're, we don't really know each other. 
<laughs> like, we, we see he sits behind me in class. That's about all I know. We're barely on a first name basis. We couldn't have really more uh, opposite personalities. Um, but I hear him talking to his friends, and this, this, this phrase jumps out at me. It catches me kind of off guard, and I hear him say, well, yeah, no, of course I believe in God. I mean, if you don't, you go to hell. And then he proceeds to go on and talk about how, yeah, like, I can do, like, he's basically describing what these false teachers were teaching, and this, this teaching has now kind of trickled through centuries to this idea that, oh, yeah, I can sin all I want. I mean, as long as I believe in God's existence at the end of the day, like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go to heaven. Or, yeah, I'll, I'll, I won't go to hell. I mean, I believe in God, sure. Um, and I wish that I had turned around and said something. I really do. It, it burns me to my core, actually, to think about it. And it, it's, it's embarrassing for me to even say it up here on stage. Um, I, I really do wish I had said something. And so don't, don't do what I did. I mean, it's okay. I, 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 I'm not the one who saves souls at the end of the day. And I, I still pray for them, actually, pretty frequently. But don't do what I did. If you're asking, like, how can this apply to me? How can I take this message from Jude? How can I do something about it? Say something. Stand up for the truth of Christ because sin is going to lead to death. Maybe this is even a lie that you find yourself uh, telling, maybe you find, uh, maybe you find yourself telling yourself, a lot of yourselves, this lie. Maybe you, you, you're thinking, um, I really, uh, I guess, yeah, it's okay. I can say this or I can, I can do this. I can look at this. I can, I can disrespect my parents this way in a way where maybe you're subconsciously or intentionally taking advantage of the grace of God. Maybe you're, you're telling yourself this lie that it's okay to sin. God will forgive me. I can kind of do whatever I want. Maybe you have to take that stand for the truth of Christ to yourself. Maybe you have to sit there and tell yourself consciously like, no, I won't do this because I'm going to stand for the truth of Christ. I'm going to stand for this life change that being a Christian calls me to. I'm going to stand for this instead because I don't want to trust in sin because what does sin lead to? leads to death. Jude is urging us to stand firm and to fight for the truth of Christ. And this will demand a whole life change. So I won't be told anything else can save me except for Christ. I won't accept it. I won't accept this, that anything else could save me because I'm going to stand firm for the truth of Christ. I won't look at these things. I won't say these things about my friends or people who I don't like. I won't uh, disrespect my parents. I'm not going to... Um, I don't know, fill in the blank, whatever that looks like for you guys in your lives. Be the church and stand firm for the truth of Christ. As a church and as Christians, I'm going to ask you this. Will you let a pile of lies build up and to become this corrupt teaching, this corrupt false thing to stand on. That's embarrassing. There it is. Or are you going to wake up and stand for the truth of Christ? Let me ask. Are you going to let a pile of lies build up and have you trusting in sinfulness? Or will you stand up for the truth of Christ? Let me pray for you guys.
And God, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this day. And we thank you so much for the truth of the book of Jude and the, the, the message that gets brought to us. Um, Lord, we just ask that for the areas of our lives where we can stand firm in the truth of the gospel, in the areas where we get to stand um, and, and worship you and worship you in the, the truth, Lord, I pray that we would I pray that we would be caught as worshipers, God, that we would be caught as people who understand the gospel for what it is, and that, Lord, for the areas where we're needing to fight and needing to stand firm, I pray that we would. So, Lord, I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a great week.